So we're picking up on an uh, Advent series, which uh, I called Following the Signs and Finding God, and Hillary called The Signs That Make Us Wonder. So you pick and choose, you know, we're very democratic. Um, <laughs> but actually, they're both true. Following the signs and finding God. And they are signs that make us wonder. So it's already December. This ridiculous idea of a South African Black Friday. I mean, like, really? In any case, mercifully it's come and gone and it kept our focus. You know, we, we, we no longer hear in Christmas carols in October because they've got to you know, fit in all these other sales events. Um, so, but and now we can like really get into Advent at the right time. Um, and, you know, just in terms of what Cecily was saying, this isn't just a time for us to take a break. It's a season God invites us to, to reset. What's the difference? Taking a break, you just stop what you're doing and go straight back to doing it all over again. A reset is you reposition yourselves on the things, how you want the system to really operate. And so maybe as we're going into this time, maybe for some of us, we can pretty much reset without too much change. But for most of us, you know, we live in a culture where uh, it's work, 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 holiday, work, 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 and Actually, God's seasons are rest, work, rest, work. We work out of rest. And so maybe it's time for a reset for us in this season, not just around Christmas, but literally around how we position ourselves. In any case, that was just a thought as I was praying for you, and then I heard uh, Cecily sharing, God teaching us rest. I don't know if you're Remember, a couple of years ago, we did a series called The Rest of Your Life. And uh, God wants us to kind of press into that space. So we're going to be talking about signs. And, um, you know, there's some signs that people notice and others. So if you, uh, what's the danger of ignoring signs? You, you could die. Tell me about signs. Come on, help me a little bit. Tell me about signs. What do signs do? They give direction. They give you information. So, you, you know, it's, it, it's, there's, a, there's a point of information. They give you warning. They give you decorations. Yeah. When I was a teenager, the stop sign nearby us fell down, and so the stop sign ended up on the back of my door um, in my bedroom. I'm not sure it's entirely legal, but I was a teenager. So. <laughs> Mom opened the door, and she never saw it. So. <laughs> Honestly, it did fall down. What, 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 <laughs> Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so we're, we're kind of just dipping into the story in several places, not too much of a sequential series. 
um, because there's a particular one we're going to aim for on Christmas Day. Um, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time of King Herod, the magi, or wise men, or people, came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Why would they think that? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search diligently or carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed. You know, there's sometimes when you get a sign from God that will just take your breath away. I remember once facing a challenging situation, and completely unknown to me, uh, some colleagues got a, a word of knowledge, phoned me to say, we think you're facing a situation like this, and I'm like, oh. and then they said, and, and God wants you to know this, and then they quoted the scriptures God called, used to call me to that place. I wasn't to give up. And at the end of that prayer, I had to just stop and quiet, and in that case, I wasn't overjoyed. I was weeping, just saying, God, you see me. You know me. You care. That's what signs sometimes do, is they make us so aware. And when they realized that this whole journey they'd been on, and we think Jesus was probably about two years old by now, so it's taken them two years to make all the connections from the time the star first was born until they, it was probably a year or more. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down. They worshipped him. Worshipped a baby. Then they opened their treasures. They opened their treasures. And presented him with gifts of gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. And having been, no, yes, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Another sign. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child 
to kill him. And so he got up and he took the child and his mother during the night. Literally, like, during the night. You're having a dream? You have the dream? In that moment, he gets up, wakes up the family, loads the car, puts the fuel in, and gets going. Well, actually the donkey or whatever it was. And so it was uh, where he stayed in Egypt until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Another son, another ancient prophecy. Ancient prophecy. With a bifocal application, because of course it's referring to the Exodus. But there's going to be another Exodus. Jesus enters the story of Israel so that he might become the fulfillment of the hopes of Israel. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and under. Hence the dating. In accordance with the time that he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, which is the area of Bethlehem. Weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Imagine you were told that you had to write the story of God coming to earth. To save the world from all the darkness, all the brokenness and everything. Imagine everyone in the world was given, you know, all 8 billion residents were given the freedom to try and think what it would be like, what the circumstances would be, who the characters involved would be when God came to save the world. And we didn't know anything about the scriptures or the story of as it is, how many of us would have remotely scripted the story this way? You get to choose when and where and how he would arrive and who would be involved and how they would react and what all the drivers and motives and plot lines would be. I'm convinced not one story would even come close to his story. I mean, would we have a sign in the heavens? A star that can be followed to an exact location? Would we have three mysterious magi? Would we include the horror of this innocent suffering? The murder of babies in Bethlehem. That somehow still seems to continue in our day. This time not with swords. But with smart bombs that are not supposed to kill the innocent.
could we imagine that God both awakens and tests faith through the mystery of science? God awakens faith and he tests faith through the mystery of science. So there's several signs we've seen in our reading. For example, there's the sign, <clears throat> and, and we need to know God loves signs. He, he loves signs, and he, he loves to give signs, and he gives signs because he loves us. He wants to put these pointers and markers. Sometimes they're literally saying, go this way. Other times they're saying, don't go that way. The signs not only tell us direction of travel, they often reveal the direction of our heart. And so we'll see in the story today how the heart condition of different people is actually revealed as they encounter the exact same sign. In fact, in the story, you end up with three persons or groups in the same room talking together. You've got the major, the wise men, who go to the place you'd expect a king to be born. They go to the palace. They go to the headquarters in Jerusalem. And then there's the king. And he's considering the exact same sign. And then there's the, 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 the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. They're all considering the same sign. A sign is there to evoke your faith response, but it will also reveal the condition of your heart. So here's an irony. The signs themselves never guarantee the correct response. The signs test you. So he has a caution. Be careful of asking a sign for a sign if you don't intend to follow it to the feet of Jesus. Be careful of asking for a sign if you don't intend to follow it. History will judge two of the parties who were in the room that day. They were aware of the exact same sign. Okay, so I want to I unpack those three groups quickly and just kind of discern a little. And I am going to attribute a bit of motive based on the stories around the lives from elsewhere. So it's not all from the text. It's from history. It's from elsewhere in Scripture. What is revealed of the hearts when these guys are confronted by the sun? So firstly, we get the, these wise men. And there's so much mystery around them. Um, you know, they were astrologers who believed that the stars contained and predicted your destiny. So, you know, and it was well known. People would look, whether it's ancient Egypt or in Babylon, the Chaldeans, or... In this case, we're not even told. We're just told they're from the east and they had to travel a heck of a long way. And so, you know, the Bible is very clear that we shouldn't be looking at the stars 
And yet God understands how these particular people are looking to him. And so he speaks in a language that they will receive. And, 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 and missionaries will tell story after story of remarkable things inside a culture that's seemingly completely lost and without God. And yet somehow inside that there's a portal or a sign. Many people are converting to Islam in our day. And a lot of that is through what we would regard as you know, miraculous visions, angelic visitations, Jesus himself appearing, telling them to take a book and read it. From Islam, did I say? Yeah. I was just checking you and listening. You know, there's more mystery. Can astronomers... You know, people who literally study the stars, work out what that star was. Certainly not in any way that can be proven. And how many wise men were there? I mean, we've come up with three because there were three gifts, and we've even given them names. Um, but uh, we won't worry about that today. And upgraded them to kings, you know. We three kings of Orient are. And so we kind of, we try and remove the mystery. We try and explain everything. We try and fill in all the detail. I think instead of trying to get rid of the mystery, we should simply look at the facts that are there and are known about them. They were alert to God's signs. And they're willing to seek and search and explore. It's a great metaphor, but they're willing to get on the journey. They're not going to stay where they are. And clearly there were people of means and influence and all the rest of it, and they could bring pretty expensive gifts. Those were amazing gifts that they brought and valuable Treasures is what the Bible describes them as. But they weren't content in their wealth and in their comfort and in their knowledge. When something appears on the horizon of their lives, they want to know more. And so they keep looking. And they don't settle for the academic answers. Their quest is to find a king and to worship. And so they keep seeking. They keep seeking until they find him. And so notice this. Their journey is a combination of faith and questions. The signs that make you wonder. Thank you, Hillary. The quest to know him doesn't start with answering every question about him. And so they keep seeking, and they keep seeking, and they travel, and they ask, and they go to the places where they're hoping, like YouTube, they can get all the answers and TikTok and 
No, it wasn't there, but they get pointed in the same direction. It's interesting that assuming it was in Israel, they just went to the palace. And then it says they were overjoyed again when they saw the star. They'd realized they'd actually gone off course in their assumption going to the palace. So somehow they'd stopped looking at the star. And when they left the palace and started going again to the place where God intended them, it says they were overjoyed. Ah, there's the stars back. Have you ever had a moment when you've been seeking God and then you start going down some rabbit hole or thinking it's going to be in this place of power or this place of influence or this authority and, and then it's seemingly lost and obscured and then there comes that moment of relief when somehow in simplicity you start heading to the place God had been speaking of all along and there's that huge joy and relief. Such a human story. They can see it again. You know, the reality is God gives signs every single day of his mercy and love in our lives. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that the world alone around you, the created realm, is evidence enough that there's a God of incredible power and intelligence and knowledge and capacity. And he'll go on to explain that that God is known through Jesus, and that is the God of all grace, who forgives our sins. We all like, um, sorry, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by the grace that comes through Jesus. There's signs all around us. He later says God demonstrates, oh, God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's in the history books. How much more of a sign do you need to know? Maybe for you, you need the fresh sense of being overjoyed, of seeing the guiding star pointing you back to the place in God you've meant to be. And if this Christmas does that for you, well, then this has been a great Christmas. Will we journey? Will you journey? Keep journeying until you find Him. And then we meet Herod. The villain of the piece who's only interested in himself and his power. And he, I mean, he's got all the power, he's got the troops, he's got all the alliances and allegiances with Rome and all the political intrigue around him. But he's so, he's living in such deep insecurity that he attacks the most innocent and the most vulnerable. Secular historians, we don't know much from the scriptures, but we certainly do know from history around his time, Herod was murderously insecure. He killed two of his brothers-in-law. Apparently, they could play um, <clears throat> frisbee better than he could. And then he had Mariamne, one of his own wives, executed. He even killed two of his own sons. 
And then as he was dying, and this would have been shortly after this event, as Jesus was able to return to Nazareth, as he was dying, he decreed there'd be multiple random arrests of citizens and that they should be executed as he was on his deathbed so that the nation would be in an atmosphere of grief and loss. It's into this place of terror that the wise men walk seeking Jesus. This king, his only interest in science is that he might thwart the purposes of God by murdering any rival newborn king. You know, for many years now, South Africa has used the first 16 days of December to encourage activism against violence towards women and children, the vulnerable, the innocent. And sadly, even as we journey into our democratic dispensation and our new constitution, the statistics of that evil, this evil of violence against women, abuse and violence against women and children, continues to rise. We haven't fixed it with the panacea because something else is wrong in us. There are many things that can be rightfully said about those statistics, including that it is an abuse of power. But nothing's going to change until we understand the biblical insight that whenever you roll over the rock of abuse or you roll over the rock of violence, the scorpion you find underneath is not power but fear. This is not a problem of power. It's a problem of fear. It's not a sign of strength. It's a sign of deep, deep weakness. Herod is terribly weak. Terribly insecure. Even though he has all the worldly power at his disposal. Jesus in Luke would say to his disciples, do not be afraid. Your Abba in heaven is pleased to give you the kingdom. How different. He has one king obsessing over his power, willing to murder babies. He has another king giving it away. Your Abba is pleased to give you his kingdom. Which king do you want in your life? You see, fear is a powerful form of negative faith. Fear is not agnostic. <laughs> As if you believe nothing. Fear believes in and expects evil and tries to mitigate it. Fear cannot believe 
that the God who governs this world is truly good, and I can trust him. And so to try and gain power of control over my world, the innocent must suffer. Whenever that's happening, you can know the kingdom of Jesus is not there and some kind of dark human empire is governing in that space. But there's another group. We come to the priests and the teachers. Imagine their day. News comes, they wake up. The palace is in uproar, and you are needed. And so they go there, and they find out the whole of Jerusalem is eventually in uproar because you know, the security services couldn't keep a secret. And so everybody finds out that supposedly there's a new king of the Jews. And he's just been born. And everyone wants to know, who is this born king of the Jews? And they told that there is a sign from God. And they hear the story of the major. That the Messiah, the long-awaited Christ, is finally here. And incredibly, they know the answer. But they don't go. Like what? Like we know, both from Scripture and from the history of the time, if you read the intertestamental writings and the writings of other Jewish um, scholars, scribes, and rabbis around this time, people were going mad to know, is this one the Messiah? There were a bunch of fake messiahs running around. This was like a heart-button issue. They know the right answer. Go to Bethlehem. But they don't go. And so they don't see. And they don't bow down. They don't open their treasures. And they don't worship the king. They don't begin a journey. Because they think they know the answers. And the crazy thing, as an academic sort of level, they actually did. They've got this head knowledge of the Bible. But they're missing what they've been praying for all these years. That's just crazy. It's what they've been longing for, praying for. And as it happens, were they just indifferent? Certainly Herod took the sign far more seriously than they did, let's be honest. The dark power politician takes this sign far more seriously than the teachers of God's word. I don't think it was indifference. The rest of the New Testament shows us that it's far more likely that they took offense, both at the sign, God shouldn't use stars, but especially 
whom God used to identify the sign. Gentiles. Gentiles? You've got to be kidding me. This could never be God. I wonder how many actions of God I have missed. Moments of his mercy and grace. Because I've judged the people through whom this grace was coming. How many revivals have you prayed for? And then we get offended by the signs inside the revivals. People shouldn't do that. People are kind of getting saved and all kinds of stuff. No, they shouldn't do that. Sit down, be quiet. Or else we're just offended by the tattoos of the people who are seeing revival. God shouldn't give revival to people who wear tattoos. I mean, goodness me. One random example. What's your random means of excluding people from the mercy of God? Whew. You know, I've got to be careful. I say this very personally. Maybe you too. I've been trained to find a lot of answers in the Bible. I too know those passages. I too know that Jesus was coming to Bethlehem. Would I have gone on a journey? Like Joseph, if God speaks, am I literally ready to get up in the middle of the night and respond? Or do I first want a committee and a vote and who knows what else before I'll trust him? It's good that you can find answers in the Bible. I'm grateful for God's word. But may that never be a reason I don't humble myself and keep seeking him and, and wanting to be in the place where I open the treasures of my life and I pour them out before him in worship. So don't be deceived by feelings of superiority that make us blind to the signs of God. Three groups of people standing in the same room, examining the same sign, and their hearts are revealed to be so wildly apart. One not hungry for God. One not living in the Fear of losing power and control. The other lot living in the pride of thinking God couldn't show up through them. The signs are there. No one has impacted history more than that baby those men worship. The signs are there. Are they proof? No. It's not how signs work. Will you seek him? 
I mean, really seek Him. Till you can open up the deepest parts of your life and your most precious treasures and lay them before Him. Will you seek Him? Will you follow the signs? Don't let insecurity or fear or indifference or superiority blind you. Follow the signs. Seek him till you find him. Follow the signs. God demonstrates, proves, displays his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What greatest sign could you ask for? Follow the signs. So, Father, we thank you for this incredible story. It still speaks to us today. Like comes in and rips away all the easy answers and the pet things. And lays our hearts bare to you.